This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Because healthcare administrative decisions are most effective when nurses are involved, today we'll talk about ways nursing students can become leaders. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Today, we'll hear from Dr. Britt Barrett, a former hospital CEO and current managing director and teaching professor at BYU. He will share a broader perspective on the healthcare system and describe the healthcare leadership minor. We'll also hear from Claire Schultz about the Healthcare Industry Association and the importance of leadership within nursing. Let's get started. Well, today on the College Handoff, we're happy to have Dr. Ritt Barrett. He is a brand new faculty member to BYU here to start up a healthcare leadership minor. Dr. Barrett, welcome to our show. Delighted to be here, Ryan. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Well, you are coming from an environment very different from BYU. You've been in Texas for a little bit. I mean, how have you enjoyed the last two, three weeks here at BYU? Oh, it's been spectacular. It's been spectacular. I mean, you can't ask for a better campus. The thing that's really been inspiring is the nature of the students and the nature of the faculty. And there is consistency in the commitment. And uh, I'm, I'm making some wonderful friends, both in the students and the, call and the faculty. Yeah, it's been a great transition from Texas. Lovely. You don't miss the steaks out there or anything like that? No, we, we were, were able to grill beautifully here. And while you were in Texas, um, you were teaching some healthcare uh, leadership courses over there, but you also were the CEO of some pretty large hospital systems. Yeah, I, um, I graduated from Brigham Young with a degree in finance, went to Washington University School of Medicine and got my master's, my graduate degree, and then was out in California and became a hospital president at a very young age. And for the last 23 years, I was in Texas and I was the CEO of the largest HCA hospital. HCA is uh, a for-profit nationwide healthcare system, 190 hospitals, a phenomenal institution. And then most recently, the president of Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, which is a 900-bed hospital. Wow. So put that in context, it's uh, about twice the size of Utah Valley Regional. And I was also serving as the executive vice president for Texas Health Resources, which is like Intermountain Healthcare. So I had a lot of experience, went back to get my doctorate researching leadership in healthcare. And when I completed the doctorate and I decided to go into teaching, taught at SMU and also the University of Texas at Dallas, then got a call from BYU saying, we recognize healthcare is a very important part of the, the economy. And we'd like you to become the managing director here at BYU and the Marriott. And here I am. We're certainly lucky to have you. I imagine, I mean, I don't want to get into specifics or anything, but knowing how the church pays, you're probably not quite <laughs> getting the same amount of uh, paycheck that you were back over there in Texas. You know, the funny thing is, uh, as a hospital president, you used to get a parking lot in the front and, you know, all the amenities and executive assistant. And, uh, and those were all fun. But I, I, there comes a time in your life when you ask yourself, you know, what's it all about? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And 
sometimes you just put everything on the altar and that's what we've done. We've come to uh, BYU with complete faith and commitment. And it really, when, when you put your hands, when you put yourself in the hands of the Lord, um, good things happen. And so we've just been grateful for this, this transition. That's great advice. Um, let's pick your brain a little bit since you have all of this experience and uh, you're hinting at a little bit, all these executive amenities that business executives and hospital systems get. There's a lot of, perhaps we could even say misunderstanding about what hospital administrators do. I know there's probably some misconceptions before we continue to talk about healthcare leadership in general and why nursing students, you know, what they need to know about that. Is there any misconceptions you want to clear up? Well, I think anyone who gets into the healthcare space gets in it because they want to care for the sick and the afflicted. I think anyone who is in it for the fame or the money or that, it's just not going to happen. And, and they soon leave the industry. Those that are stay are men and women of a tremendous commitment. And we saw, we see that during the pandemic, you know, the clinical bedside care is exceptional where we fall is on the implementation of smart business practices. If you talk to a doctor or a nurse, their complaints are about stupid stuff like scheduling. Well, it's not stupid. It's just stuff we could fix like scheduling or uh, equipment or staffing or a, these are things that we can fix introducing smart business practices. And that was part of my career. I got a degree in finance from Brigham Young and I was introducing things like spreadsheets and, you know, in those days it was Lotus one, two, three. That's where we are deficient in the healthcare delivery system. And if you talk to any physician, they would agree they want to care for the patient. And so maybe the misconception is that there's some nefarious, evil, sinister, business mind, well, they want you to get paid and they want you to provide, be providing service and care that's exceptional. There's a, there's a commonality of commitment there that maybe is overlooked. Interesting. Yeah. I like that you're kind of unifying a little bit, the leadership side of healthcare and the clinical side of healthcare. You know, when you point out that, look, both these people, they want to serve people. They're just kind of choosing different routes of going about it. That's absolutely. I don't have the gift of healing. I, I don't like touching people. I don't like, you know, blood. I, I, that's just not my gift, but I have a pretty good business mind. And if you kind of look at the team that you work with, it's interdisciplinary. I mean, could you imagine a nurse trying to do what she does without uh, the, the IT background or platform or the assistants or the pharmacist or the respiratory therapy? It just, it can't be done. And uh, healthcare leaders in the business side also add to that. And, and they have to be mindful of that and be respectful of that and, and support and sustain. And, and I, I think that's probably a good lesson to be learned. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you, I want to go back a little bit to more specifics about your career. You were at medical city for a little bit. You grew that hospital system quite a bit. Could you talk about that just a little bit? And then maybe also how nurses helped you grow that hospital system. Well, it was interesting when I, when I arrived in Texas, I was moving from San Diego, California. If you can imagine, I was with sharp Healthcare. Uh, and when I got to the hospital, I walked through the facility and it was cold and it was unwelcoming and it was, um, complicated. And we did a survey, uh, through the Gallup organization on the engagement of employees. And we found that 35% of the employees were actively engaged, disengaged. They, they just didn't like being there. And I huddled with the team and I said, what are we to do? Can you provide great patient care and experience? if it's dysfunctional, if it's a toxic work environment? Obviously the answer is no. 
So what do you do? And so we embarked on an effort to lead differently. Um, in the in the literature, in the research, it's called transformational leadership, where you care about the men and women and you figure out, you know, where can they be released from these silly and unnecessary obligations and allow them to do what they do so well. And so at Medical City, we did that. We focused, uh, we became the first hospital in North Texas to receive the magnet certification in nursing. This is the most, the highest accolade that any nursing service can receive. We're the 94th in the world. And it, it spoke volumes to our commitment to nursing to say, we love you. We respect you. We have high standards and expectations. You want to be surrounded by great men and women. And we want to make sure that you have the resources you need. So we embarked on that. We became Dallas Business Journal selected us as the best place to work in all of the DFW. Six million people, the best place to work of any organization and one of the top 50 best places to work in the state of Texas. So if you're a young nurse, that's what you're looking for. You, you want to, you want to, a cohesive environment. And then we started attracting talent. The economics took care of themselves. We, we were able to pay fairly and we were able to invest. We put $300 million of construction of that building into that facility. The very first thing we built was a 24 hour a day childcare center. That was the first thing. And then, then we asked, what's driving you all crazy? And they said the parking. So, okay, we built a parking garage. And then after that, we built a a critical care tower and an emergency room and a children's hospital. And we, you know, we, we were wise in our investment, but it allowed us because we understood the culture to make smart decisions. We asked the team, what's driving you crazy? I hear a funny story. Um, when I first got there, I, I, I thought I would mystery shop it. And so the, the Friday before I arrived, I dressed in jeans and a t-shirt and I wandered down to the emergency room. And I said, and this is as you were about to start working yeah, as a CEO, I, the, right? Yeah, that's okay. right. I was going to be the president and CEO on Monday, but on Friday before <laughs> I wandered in the ER and I go, oh, I'm just, I'm having these fainting spells. And my now best friend was an emergency room physician and he admitted me to the, the West Tower and I spent the night there and I learned so much about the care that was given. And I have story after story that really informed me on how we could commit to improving the, the resources were those amazing caregivers. When one nurse, you know, took me and took my hand was, she was taking my vitals, but she was so loving and caring. And it kind of chokes me up thinking about all that she did. Um, and it, and it put this exclamation point about the caregivers. They, they, they are givers of care. So let's not encumber them with the staffing ratios. And we've got to be prudent. We've got to be wise. We've got to be mindful, but let's not, have that be our obsession. Let's, let's, let's commit to the excellence of the patient's experience. So. I like, I like that idea of, you know, let's just, let's cut the red tape. Let's let them loose. Let's let them kind of do their job. That's what they excel. And then keep everything off their plates. They can just focus on the patient. I like that idea. And, and, and hold people accountable. Yeah. If you're a nurse on the floor, you want to work with great nurses. And if one is not doing what he or she should be doing, you can't, you can't kick that can down the road. You've got to call. You got to say, listen, Here's the expectation. My daughter's a pediatric ICU nurse and she worked in a congenital heart program. And uh, there are some nurses that are just not wired for ICU and that's okay. They might find their calling in a different area and we need to be helpful in, in, in facilitating that. Not, not punitive, but helpful. 
I like the idea of honesty. What, um, and we've mentioned this a little bit, you talked about kind of some of the culture that makes a good place to work for nurses. What about, you know, in general, I guess, what, you know, what, what should, what are some of the things that nurses or nursing students more specifically should look for when they're going to find their first job that would make that a good culture to work in? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question because culture eats strategy every time. You might have a great idea. You might say to yourself, well, I'm going to work at that hospital. Walk the floors. Talk to those that work there. Look for signals of things they talk about. Is the conversation all about compensation and bonuses and clinical uh, critical care bonuses? And if, if that's the space you want to play in, okay, you'll feel comfortable. If the conversation is about quality and the patient's experience and loved ones, you know, the, the one thing that struck me when I ran, ran Medical City was the majority of our patients came from rural Texas. Many of them had never been in an elevator before. Oh, wow. I mean, but we had a solid organ transplant program, the 10th largest heart transplant program in the United States. And we would have families come to the campus. And initially when I got there, it was cold. No one said, hello. You walk down the on the in the hospital, you get in the elevator. And so we had a hard conversation with all the employees. There were 2000 employees. We said, are we making these patients feel comfortable here? And so we went into, we, we call them service standards. You know, you say hello to people, you give them eye contact. That's comforting. You don't do it because you're, you're, you know, you, you want to check a box. You do it because you care for the patients you serve. So when you're looking for a job, check those, um, those uh, soft areas and you'll learn a lot. You'll learn a lot about the culture and what they prioritize. And then you get to be part of that. You can't just float. You got to be actively involved. So if you want to be at a place that has a, a mission and a purpose and caring, you got to part, be part of that. You got to engage in that. You got to actively uh, participate. I, I remember um, we had embarked on this journey and we really, embraced this commitment to the community. And we had an ice storm in Texas, which is funny because uh, I, if you have an ice storm in Utah, I think it's got to be 24 inches of snow before anyone even thinks about calling school. In Texas, you got uh, a quarter inch and everyone, everything closes down. And um, it was amazing that we didn't have a staffing problem at all. We had, you know, I spent the night in my office. We had uh, patient rooms that were set aside for nurses. Everyone was there because we knew that the patients needed us. And for me, that's a culture that's, that's powerful. It's got to be hard to build a talent base like that. You know, an interview can only tell you so much about an organization and about uh, a nurse or anyone who works in the hospital. It's got to be pretty hard to at least pick out who's going to be the people that will be that team who will stay overnight to go the extra mile to make sure patients are taken care of. There's a great book that was Ron, written, uh, co-authored by a good friend of mine, Ron McMillan, and it's called Crucial Conversations. And I think we need to have more crucial conversations. We need to define what kind of organization we want to be a part of. And then we need to really ask ourselves, are you a fit? Um, so when I finished my doctorate, my doctorate, my dissertation was on transformational leadership and the convergence of strategy. And the premise was how you lead in healthcare can have an impact on your clinical outcomes. And the, the answer is absolutely. Uh, then I followed up with a, no one read the dissertation. No one read the, the dissertation. It was boring. Um, so I wrote a book with a, a buddy of mine, Paul Spiegelman, and it's called uh, 
Patience comes second, leading change by changing how you lead. And it became a New York Times bestseller. It's, you know, it's kind of funny when my sisters harass me. I've got three sisters who, you know, I'm their little brother. They kind of tease me. And I say, well, listen, are you a New York Times bestseller? I think not. Uh, <laughs> so that's my, that's my go-to. But anyway, wrote the book and it was embraced because it said, build a culture, build a culture. And sometimes you've got to weed the garden. And there's some people that are not, it's time for them to move on. And you got to have leaders that are willing to have that hard conversation. What makes a nurse, you know, if I'm a nurse and you're my employer, what makes me a weed versus a nurse you want to keep around? I think a weaner whiners, losers, and jerks. How's your day today? Oh man, this place is the worst. Really? Yeah. Oh, everything's going bad. I mean, yeah, I know we've come out of a, uh, an unprecedented pandemic and I understand we are exhausted and I understand that we have been stretched beyond, and it's not just the nurses that have experienced that. Everyone has experienced that, and um, I think we acknowledge it. We embrace that. The, the term they're using right now is cumulative trauma, just consistent trauma. I don't know how you cure yourself of that. I, I, I really don't. Everyone manifests and responds to trauma differently, but we have a responsibility. We have a calling. And if you can't wrap your brain around that and kind of pick it, pick it up, then you should probably step away from healthcare because loved ones' lives are in, in the balance here. So the conversation is a tough one. And I wish it were easy. And I wish, you know, and I think maybe some of your listeners are rolling their eyes or going, yeah, that's not true. Yeah, it is true. Um, this cumulative, cumulative trauma can have a huge impact. I was on the call yesterday with a group of nurse leaders in a hospital. Uh, it's very prominent. They asked to visit with me and I spent an hour with them. I think I, it's kind of fun to spend the time as a person outside the industry who has been in the industry for decades to share my gratitude for what they're doing and the love that I have for their commitment. And it's a crucial conversation to say, okay, time to, time to pivot time to move forward. And um, every organization, every individual is different, but we have a calling responsibility. And I think that's, that's the beauty of Brigham Young University. You think about its purpose and its meaning. It's to prepare the next generation to enter, to learn, to go forth, to serve, and to do so with Christ-like attributes. It's definitely a unique responsibility that BYU has, for sure. It, one thing that isn't very unique that you mentioned, Dr. Barrett, is that almost every interview I've had with individuals on this podcast, no matter what career we're talking about, something always comes up about mental health and staying resilient. Oh, absolutely. What are some ways that you've seen your nurse leaders excel in that? Because I think there's a difference between a nurse and a nurse leader. Someone who's in a leadership position who has more on their plate. You know, what, what helps those nurse leaders stay resilient from what you've seen? Well, I think mental health and those challenges are as unique as cancer or cardiovascular disease. And it manifests itself differently based on your age, your ethnicity, your gender, your orientation, whatever it is, it manifests itself differently. And we have all sorts of tools to diagnose that. In the mental health space, uh, my experience has been just be with them. Just let them know you're there. You might not understand fully, but to be with them. And they might need some type of uh, 
more sig- significant and serious intervention. Trained professionals, pharmaceuticals, whatever, whatever it might be. But this term we use, burnout, seems like, well, there's just one bucket. No, there, there are about a million buckets of what burnout means. For some people, it manifests itself differently. And I think as healthcare leaders, we need to embrace that, recognize that, and be there. Some folks won't be able to get past it. They're terminal. And they actually are detrimental to the patient's experience. And so the crucial conversation needs to occur. We don't do that lightly. We do that intentionally, purposely. And I would say prayerfully. I I believe as healthcare providers, we're in we're entitled to divine intervention. I don't know how many times when I've been working on a project and I just needed help to understand. And, and I think God inspires. I really do. And so, you know, those things help us navigate through the mental health challenges that we're experiencing today. That's a great point. And I like that you're distinguishing that there's multiple ways that this can be manifested. There's multiple buckets. Uh, it's not something that I've, I've heard of before. Generally, we're all so excited to talk about mental health. I don't think we take the time to realize that it's a little bit more nuanced for each individual. I do want to pivot now a little bit to your time here at BYU. We've established that we're very lucky to have you. You have we bring a lot of expertise to BYU. Um, I'm excited for uh, the healthcare leadership minor that you are fundamental for here at BYU. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that minor. Why is that a minor that you think our current nursing students should look into? We'll take a look at the healthcare industry. It's it's 20% of our economy. And it's usually unrecognized, but think behind the scenes, especially in the later years where healthcare is so prominent, pharmaceuticals, revenue cycle, you know, supply chain. Here's a good example. What was our biggest problem when the pandemic hit? We didn't know how big it was. You know, I was sitting at Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas and, and uh, you know, you would hear calls about the cold and flu season. We wouldn't, there was no central structure to help us navigate through it. When the pandemic hit, we were, we were running out of uh, personal protective equipment and ventilators. And, and we weren't sure what the census was on our hospital friends down the street. So we have learned a lot on the business side of healthcare. And that's what the intent of this minor is, is to give some business sense to clinicians to say, you might want to consider that there's a historical context on how we got to where we are. For example, why are the majority of the hospitals in the United States religiously based? Baptist hospitals, Lutheran hospitals, uh, uh, Catholic hospitals. Why, why is that? Well, there's a historical history, there's a history there that we help unfold and it helps us understand our history and then where we need to go into the future. The minor gives some expertise for individuals who love IT or they love marketing or they, they feel comfortable in the, in the technology space to give them an understanding of the business sense so that they can be more effective in their careers. Now, for nursing, uh, if a nurse is all clinical and doesn't understand the implications, the ramifications, it can be detrimental to the patient's experience. Um, I don't know, this is probably before your time, but there was a time when we didn't have an electronic medical record and nurses would have little stickies that they would put on their scrubs for billing. Well, that was so ineffective. It was chaotic. Then we introduced electronic medical record, which was also chaotic. But now we've become more effective. We have alerts. We have 
barcoding. We have, um, uh, we can read a doctor's <laughs> orders, right? Before it was a scribble. So I, I think introducing technology and, and awareness as part of this educational experience is to the benefit to uh, nursing leaders. And um, it also helps us understand the economics of healthcare so that we can make wise decisions. And you're, you're making a, a really good point, which is that, you know, sometimes I think in, you know, in the college of nursing, you know, especially at BYU, we focus so much on the patient and the holistic view of the patient. We're kind of hyper-focused on the patient. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to discredit that at all, but why do you think it might be more, not more important, but why do you think it is important that we just get a bigger picture of what's actually happening to get a more holistic view of not so much the patient, but the whole system? Well, that's, <laughs> so when we were writing this book, uh, the, the working title was leading change by changing how you lead. It was a plea to say, love the people around you, try and understand them. Don't be a dictator. And at the last minute we decided to call it patients come second. Right. And so that was the antithesis of what we're all about. And I remember I got this email from a, a, a professor and doctor, it's Dr. Barrett. I can't believe you're saying patients come second. How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. And I wrote back saying, hey, no, no, listen, listen. The intent is to say, build a team so that they can provide that exceptional care. Because if you have an, a, a dysfunctional team, you will have dysfunctional health care. It's, it's, it's too integrated. It's like going to a restaurant and having the cook yelling and screaming and the waiters and waitresses screaming. And you can't provide the services that were intended. Um, anyway, so he wrote this email to me. I responded back and he wrote back and said, that's not true, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, okay, in the real world, we're interdisciplinary. We need a team that pulls together. So these, these classes that we're teaching in this elevated understanding becomes a powerful tool for caregivers to provide care. That's awesome. So from your book, then, if patients come second, then yeah. from what I'm understanding from what you're saying, your physicians, your nurses, your staff come first. Is that, that's a paradigm shift. Is that correct? I think it is. It's, it's natural when you kind of think through it. Uh, a bedside nurse is just as good as the team around her. And if he or she is sitting at that bed and, you know, fulfilling um, assessments, uh, completing evaluations, and there's no one around to help or she's not sure or he's not sure that the care will be executed in the way that needs to be done. Uh, that's, that's injurious that, that hurts the patient. And so, yeah, you need to build a team and I'll, I'll tell you for the new nurses, you'll, it, it may be um, theoretical at this point, but you'll know it. You'll feel it when you get into a hospital or a clinic or a, a work team that gets it. It is a joy. And that's what I think healthcare leaders have a responsibility to do, to build that team so that we can provide that excellent care. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Barrett, as we're wrapping up here, are there any other things you want to mention about the minor that might intrigue our nurses and encourage them to, to get involved and maybe take some of those classes? Well, I invite you to come visit with me. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm over in the Tanner building and anyone listening to this podcast, I think you've got a, a broader reach than just the BYU campus. I'd be delighted to take a call. The program here gives you structural information like you know, 
what does an electronic medical record really do and why is it so effective? Today, our lectures on values and beliefs, why do they play such an important role in the formulation of healthcare policy? Um, we do also have an executive lecture series every Friday. There are classes to be had, but I welcome and invite you to come visit with me. I'd be delighted to share some thoughts. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for joining us on the college handoff today and welcome to BYU. You're a great asset to the university and to the college of nursing. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Go Cougs. Your pedicure may look great, but it's not conducive to a healthcare environment. This is a reminder to wear closed-toed shoes in clinicals and in the NLC for both your safety and for the safety of your patients. So today on the podcast, we have Claire Schultz, who is an RN and an MBA candidate. Um, welcome to the show. Great. I'm really excited to be here, Eliza. Thanks for the invitation. First, I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you're from Canada, eh? Um, so what you know, brought you to the States and to BYU. Perfect. Thanks, Eliza. I've been very fortunate to build a career within nursing. I started as a medical surgical nurse back in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I was able to engage with the primary care networks um, back home in a rural and urban setting. Um, and then I went on a hunt for a little more adventure and wound up in Austin at an ICU as well as an operating room. But it was kind of over this course of some bumps and, and, um, uncertainty of nursing that I thought, okay, well, if the program management and developing teams was what I loved in the primary care network, how do I get more of that? Yeah. So I asked around and universally every nurse in the U.S. said in order to take a nursing leadership role, whether that's on a clinical side or an administrative side, it required a master's level education. I was able to talk with some folks about how BYU does have an MBA program and it's not an MHA program, but we do have a horizontal emphasis is what we call it within the MBA program, where I, I still have the opportunity to take ample healthcare oriented classes and get this picture of what healthcare administration could be. And I have had a really enriching experience and have found ways into healthcare and expanding my kind of customizing a little bit of my MBA experience to cater to that um, healthcare experience that I'm interested in. Why do you think leadership is an important skill, particularly for nurses to have? I think it's funny. Um, I'm going to harken back to a little experience that I had. One time I had a nursing manager. We were all sitting around in a room. We had just had a staff meeting and we had, I can't remember if it was a speaker who had come to talk to us about leadership. And in that room, maybe there are about 15 nurses, our manager asked us, well, who amongst you feels like a leader? And no one raised their hand. I was a little bit young and a little bit new to the team and nervous to raise my hand, but I wanted to raise my hand because I think leadership can have a really broad definition. And so if we think of leadership, my current working definition of leadership is Somebody who optimizes their sphere of influence. So if you're somebody who optimizes your sphere of influence, then regardless of your position and a hierarchy in an organization, you can act as a leader. Now, I have opted to maybe go for a more traditional definition of leadership where I've started as frontline staff, started to do some program development, and now after my MBA, 
hopefully embarking on a more formal title of a healthcare administrator or healthcare leader, um, the voice of the nurse will always be important in healthcare. It's we have lots of providers, but nurses tend to be one of those larger bodies with any larger healthcare organization. And that voice of the nurse has ripple effects throughout the organization for those reasons I just stated, because their sphere of influence is so large. So by including the voice of nurses at all levels of the organization, we're going to optimize everyone's experience. Another important thing that's really core to me when we talk about leadership for nurses is we discuss burnout a ton in nursing. And I find it quite an ambiguous term. And one of the concerns that I have within nursing is that we take the term burnout and sometimes minimize it just to this level of, hey, let's throw in some self-care and everything's going to be fine. I don't love that because self-care ultimately won't go to the core of the reasons why burnout exists amongst nurses. I argue that the burnout amongst nurses is that we demand this high level of responsibility of nurses with this incredibly low level of control. And so I think the resolution for nurses is to be able to resolution for burnout amongst nurses is to restore that level of control to match the high level of responsibility that they're entitled to or they're asked to perform on a daily basis. And so that's where nurses and leadership roles, being able to restore that control to the nurses to match the high level of responsibility will ultimately kind of save healthcare. <laughs> Maybe that's a bigger soapbox than you intended on hearing to today. But but I think it's a really important one when we talk about leadership. Oh, definitely. I've never thought of that, but, but that really resonates that if you have all this responsibility and um, you have to perform you know, all these crazy tasks and have this high level of education and then don't have a lot of control. That would be like really frustrating. I completely understand the whole um, burnout thing better. That makes a lot more sense. In line with this, that um, leadership is such an important thing for um, nurses to be involved in, whether at that, you know, lower level sphere of influence or, you know, a managerial standpoint from a managerial standpoint. Um, I, I know that you're part of an organization called HIA. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that organization could help students become better leaders? Perfect. Yeah, thank you. The HIA is a really important organization here on campus, and BYU has traditionally not been a healthcare hub or a healthcare magnet, but the HIA is one of those ways that we're trying to increase the prominence of healthcare on campus. So, I'm going to refer to my notes here just to make sure I get this spot on here. But HIA stands for the Healthcare Industry Association. And the mission of the BYU Healthcare Industry Association is to produce future leaders, what we were just talking about, future leaders in healthcare industry who will make positive impacts in improving the global healthcare system. The Healthcare Industry Association will accomplish this by educating our students to be competent in the complexities of the healthcare system challenging our students with experiential learning opportunities that will prepare them for leadership in the healthcare industry, providing our students with the networks and resources needed to obtain employment of their choice in the healthcare industry. So 
central to BYU's tenants is allowing these students to go out and become leaders in whatever their chosen field is. The Healthcare Industry Association is taking on that mandate for healthcare on campus. What does the HIA do? Like, what are some of the events and activities that you guys do to um, help accomplish this mission of um, creating leaders, leaders within nursing? A lot of that has to deal with exposure to the industry. So within the Healthcare Industry Association, we have two chapters. We have a graduate chapter and we have an undergraduate chapter. In both chapters, we do some joint events together, but we try to be sensitive and cater to both those demographics and where they are within their healthcare leadership trajectory. So that can look like resume review sessions that often includes some panels of professionals within a certain topic. Last year, they hosted a health equity event with um, some prominent healthcare leaders who are really examining and looking at healthcare equity. It It's also, I mean, these are all very serious things, but it also involves some fun. We had a great opening social a couple weekends ago. We had some fun food. We got to socialize and, and meet with everyone. Some of the most valuable things that you'll do here at BYU is to make these connections and especially make those connections within your industries. So we want to help foster that conversation. Another important thing that the HIA does for students, again, depending on where they are in their career trajectory, is we hope to expose students to alternate paths within healthcare that they might have not originally considered. And it's sometimes really nice to have that eye-opening experience and kind of be clued into, hmm, you know, maybe I go nurse for three or four years, develop some clinical background knowledge, and then, you know... Back in the HIA, somebody mentioned something like that woman did a really cool job doing community health management or something to that effect. And hopefully those members, those memories that they develop within the HIA by being exposed to people who have taken some maybe originally non-traditional career paths, make them turn over rocks and say, hmm, that's worth looking into. Or I have some skills that I'd be interested to apply in those areas. Like if a student wants to join, kind of what's what's the process of doing that and how can they get involved? The Healthcare Industry Association is available on the BYU club directory. I think that's probably the best way to find it. And within the club directory, you can sign up for the respective chapters, whether that's the graduate chapter or the undergraduate chapter. Um, it's probably the best way to start. It's a free club on campus. I don't know about you, but I kind of became overwhelmed with all the club dues I started paying just <laughs> based off of my own personal interests. Um, but the HIA currently is a free club. Um, and so that that's the process. Go to the BYU club page, register for the appropriate chapter, and come and join us and start getting um, our correspondence. Great. But how did you find the HIA club and, and get involved yourself? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, pure word of mouth. So the MBA program has actually graduated a number of registered nurses with MBA programs. So the year before me, we had three registered nurses in the MBA program. And it was as I rubbed shoulders with them, met them out orientation, um, spent some time with them. They, they clued me in to that this was a good opportunity to spend some time with the club and to be enriched by others in the club. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Eliza, thank you so much for talking with Claire. I thought that was fascinating. We've talked about burnout 
a lot on the podcast and we have lots of different people sharing their perspectives, but Claire was eye-opening in the sense that I had never considered that burnout at the root of it is a management problem. Yeah, I think when um, you have such a high level of responsibility, like she talked about, um, and you're you're not getting, you're not in control of anything, um, you might feel underappreciated. And I think that's a big part of what contributes to burnout. Absolutely. And there's a lot to unpack with everything we've talked about today. I also thought that Dr. Britt Barrett's um, interview was really insightful. I wish I could have talked to him for a much longer time. There's a lot of things to learn there. Um, but I'm hopeful that in the long run, our nursing students can actually create a culture change that penetrates the leadership of healthcare. So that way we can solve some of the problems that we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, when, like we've talked about, really to make the best decisions within healthcare, we really do need more nurses involved. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely um, check out the healthcare leadership minor. You can talk to Kara about adding that minor and definitely check that out. Absolutely. And make sure you look for the HIA as well. I think those are both great pieces of advice we heard today from Dr. Britt Barrett and from Claire. Don't forget to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The College Handout. We're out every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. See you then.